In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our reading for this morning, for the basis of the sermon, is Ephesians 3, which you've already heard. You may be seated. If you've ever been in a catechism class with me, you know that I generally approach teaching about the Trinity from a bit of a practical standpoint rather than a theoretical one. And what I mean by that is I kind of let the creeds stand as they are. They are faithful summaries of what the Bible says about the Trinity, what can and can't be said about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is summarized in the creeds. It doesn't say too much, meaning that it doesn't make conclusions about God's nature based on our logic or our human reason, but it doesn't leave anything out of what the Bible says about God either, how or who he is and how he has revealed himself to us in his Son. Sure, I teach about the uniqueness about the persons without dividing the Godhead into three different gods, but we do have to be careful that we don't dissect the doctrine of the Trinity so much that it's just left dead there on the table. Instead, I tend to emphasize how it is that God relates to us in sending his Son to save us. This is called the economic trinity, which is from the Greek word for economy, which deals with matters of family and the home. In our text for today, St. Paul's prayer for the Christians at Ephesus brings the doctrine of the trinity home for us, so to speak, showing us that the Father gathers his family through the spirit of his Son. St. Paul begins by saying, so I ask you, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, who from every family in heaven and on earth is named. We can read about Paul's suffering in Ephesus earlier in the book of Acts. We know that he'd gone there to preach both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, and that the worshipers of the Greek god Artemis, or the Roman version Diana, kind of got into a frenzy about what Paul was doing there. The silversmith that was there started a riot against Paul and the Christians in that place because they were taking away, or Paul was taking away from his business in his crafting of these little silver idols of Artemis. Paul was suffering for the faith, and that is why Paul goes to the Father for help. The fact that Paul refers to God here as Father and how his fatherhood extends over all is and is reflected in every family is important for us to understand what we should know about the Trinity. Perhaps this should go without saying, but a father cannot be a father without having a child, even in 2023. That God is called Father reminds us of the fact that he has a son, Jesus, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity. What Paul is telling us here is that fatherhood specifically and family more generally is part of the created order because it is a reflection of God himself. This is why children need both 
a mother and a father in the home to have the best chance at thriving. Economists have known this for years and years and have even released studies that show it from a numbers standpoint. However, this is something that we as Christians have known from the beginning. But God's fatherhood extends well beyond that of the Son. In his letter to the Galatians, chapters 3 and 4, St. Paul makes the point that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been given the Spirit of the Son, which is why we can call God Father. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven. The Lord's Prayer is, in fact, the prayer of God's baptized children. We, like St. Paul, come to our Father in heaven as dear children, come to their fathers in time of need. When you were baptized, he adopted you. God adopted you and made you a part of his family. You're not some afterthought. He actually chose you to be his own. And so just as adoption makes children truly part of our earthly families here, so also your baptism into Christ Jesus has truly made you part of God's family with all the rights and privileges that that entails. So when you're praying, you're not praying to some strange God that's far off, locked away in some heaven someplace. You are talking to your father. And this makes you part of the royal family. And so Luther, in the small catechism, teaches us about the Lord's Prayer that we go to him as dear children to their dear father. The father, having gathered all of us into his family, now sets out with the task of strengthening you through the power of the Holy Spirit in your inner being. Again, it's helpful for us to remember that Paul is writing this in the context of his own suffering as an apostle and that he does not want the Ephesians to lose heart over what he is suffering. The Spirit is given to us that we might be strengthened in our faith for the glory of the Father. So this brings me to a point that Christians don't often love to embrace. But suffering and glory must go together. St. Paul, or put, to put it a different way, if we want to reach glory, we must expect to suffer here. But God doesn't simply leave us alone in our suffering and say, well, you know, good luck. But listen to this beautiful promise that he makes to us in Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So what does that mean exactly? Well, since the Spirit testifies to us that we are God's children, 
always pointing us back to the font where we were baptized, he is also there to remind us of that when we suffer. Through the word, the Holy Spirit reminds us that the pattern of suffering and glory is, in fact, the way to heaven. In suffering, our lives are conformed to the life of Christ Jesus. All that is a hindrance to us is burned off in our suffering so that in our suffering, we learn to put our trust not in ourselves, but in Christ alone. And so the Spirit comes alongside us in these times to pray for us and to pray with us. St. Paul teaches that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. This he does for all of the saints according to God's will. So have you ever been so weighed down by the troubles of this life that you don't actually know what to say in your prayers? I know that I've been there. Well, people loved by God, in those moments especially, the Holy Spirit, who is there to strengthen you in your faith, in your inner being, is there to pray for you, and also, when the words do come, to pray with you. And then, he strengthens you by reminding you that the suffering that you face in this life is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed at the coming of Jesus. And even in the suffering that you will endure, God promises to use it for your good. As St. Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that, we, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Since you are God's family, the Spirit is there to strengthen you in that knowledge in the midst of of your battle. Then finally, God the Father gives you his strengthening spirit, as St. Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This, dear saints, is precisely how we ought to think about the Trinity because this is how God speaks to us about himself in his word. The Father sends the Son to bring us back to himself. The Father loves us not just because he has some sort of warm and mushy feelings towards us. It is a real and sacrificial love that becomes incarnate in the flesh and blood of his son, Jesus. As St. Paul or St. John will write in his first epistle, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. People loved by God, Christ's incarnation, his birth, his death, these are not just 
the proof that God loves us, but they are, in fact, the way in which God loves us. It is through the death of Jesus that we have strength to endure suffering. We are to see in our suffering the suffering of Jesus and the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of God's love that goes so far beyond our knowledge. You may, you, or you know my, ability, my inability to do math, and apparently my inability to speak English this morning, but we'll leave that aside. But Paul here is giving us a huge geometric shape with incalculable size and volume to help us understand God's love for us in Christ Jesus. What that means for us in a practical sense, since we're talking about the Trinity in a practical sense, is that the lifelong project of the Christian is to try to wrap his or her mind around the love of God. But the wonderful thing about this is that God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think provides for this. Through his word, we hear him speak to us. His spirit is at work in us to create, sustain, and strengthen our faith in him through it. The more we hear the word of God, the more we read it, the more we come to know God's love for us in Christ Jesus. That same Jesus who dwells now in our hearts by faith also dwells for us in the sacrament of the altar. And there, he who is love incarnate makes himself a part of us as we eat his body and drink his blood, which are broken on the cross and poured out for us to show God's love to us. Dearly beloved, the Father gathers his family through the spirit of his Son, he is our true Father. The Spirit testifies to this in our baptism to strengthen us to be part of his family. And all of this is bound up in the love of God's only begotten Son, Jesus, who binds the whole family together in his death and resurrection. This is why the doctrine of the Trinity is so fundamental to the church's life, and why we can drive so much comfort and peace from plumbing the depths of what the Bible teaches us about God's work in and among us by joining us into his family. And to him, then, be glory in the church, in Trinity Lutheran Church, and the church throughout the world of all times and places. All that glory be to Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.